Hello, members, friends, and neighbors of Peace Lutheran Church in downtown Puyallup, Washington, to the weekly podcast, episode 13 of Together in the Word on Pioneer and Third. I am on Pioneer and Third. I'm here at the office uh, at church, but my guest is not. Joel Slagle is, is, uh, is with me on the phone today, and I'm grateful for uh, your time Joel uh, Joel is one of the newest members of our congregation, and uh, it's a joy to have you and your family be a part of our of our church. Uh, and I'm wondering if you might be willing to take a moment just to let the people know who you are. Sure. Uh, I think I've prob- we've probably arrived at peace pretty circuitously. Um, so I'm actually from California originally, from uh, Northern California, where it's pretty rural. Uh, and I come from a, a very, very evangelical background, so I like to play a little game with people like, you know, how Christian were you growing up? <laughs> so, uh, like my, this is usually like my trump card is, you know, I wasn't allowed to have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because that, the mutant aspect was like, oh, maybe there's evolution related, you know, maybe there's something there. So I couldn't have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I could have a King David action figure, and oh, I've never met I've never met anybody else who's had a King David action figure. Um, Did he come with a sling and stones? Oh, yeah. I mean, were they oh, yeah. working? Could you, like, whip his arm around and throw tiny little <laughs> tiny little stones? At- I mean, it was, it was basically just a, a, a Barbie with, like, a headband and a sling. So, um, but yeah, so I grew up in that background and um, really, I, I guess, was a... You know, I, I bought into it, you know, I was a really, really a part of it. And uh, went to uh, an evangelical college, um, Christian Missionary Alliance, and uh, kind of from that, uh, had some experience doing overseas missions. And uh, I, so I, I ended up overseas in Russia for a couple of years with Wycliffe through their um, education branch and teaching at missionary kids' schools. And while I was over in Russia, I ended up meeting my wife, Elizabeth, who's from Puyallup. We love Elizabeth. And, oh, she's, she's definitely the, uh, the best. So, um, But yeah, so I met her there in Russia. And then we, we came back to the U.S., got engaged, got married. Uh, and then I continued on uh, in missions, but being based in Los Angeles for a while, but still kind of uh, going back and forth to the former Soviet Union. To a lot of those different countries, um, and then we came back to to Washington about let's see, seven years ago, six years ago, seven, and um, started a family, and um, yes, yeah, so we were living in South Seattle. Then uh, we're about to have another kid, and um, thought, man, we need to get out of the city a little bit. So we came back to Puyallup, where Elizabeth's from, and so right around the time that we moved to Puyallup, I think it was right around the time you guys had just moved to Puyallup. And so uh, a friend of mine from that um, agent missions agency I worked for, she was, she lived in Baltimore, and she said, oh, you just moved to Puyallup. You should check out Peace Lutheran Church, because a friend of mine has a was friends with this guy in seminary, and, you know, you should go check out his church. And, uh, and so that was kind of how we ended up finding peace was from our friend in Baltimore who had a friend that knew you in seminary. So um, so definitely a weird way to find peace, I think. Uh, but it was really, 
it was really great to come to peace. And the, the word I would use was would be just how welcoming it was. And um, I felt welcome, and I felt that any, you know, that my particular family that that we were we would be welcome because church has been hard for us. Um, one coming from with kind of our evangelical baggage that that I certainly have, but also so my oldest son is on the uh, autism spectrum, and church is really difficult. Um, just the noise, the different sensory uh, stuff that's there, and and it's just hard. Um, and so you combine that with you know his his little brother who's just a big personality. Um, <laughs> church is tough, and so peace was a place where we felt like that that was okay, you know. And and I think that's a, a really neat thing about the church is that it, it, you know I, I don't feel like people are giving us the side eye. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and and I, that's this that's just a huge blessing for us and. Um, and why we decided to end up becoming members. Thank you for sharing that story. Yeah, I mean, I think every church wants to consider itself the friendly church. You know, that's sort of like, yeah. we're the friendly church. But it sort of is a question of, you know, when the rubber meets the road, are we really welcoming people as they are, or are we expecting them to assimilate and be like who we are? Mm-hmm. And I fear um, t- too much of the church, too many congregations kind of err on the side of the ladder, right? We're really more yeah. we're really more comfortable being the way we are and if you're going to come, you need to kind of fall within these parameters. And that I mean, that can be applied, you know, in any different kind of circumstance, whether it has to do with identity or whether it has to do with yeah. you know, the age of your children. Um, but it, it takes hard work, I think, and I think it takes a, a sort of a, a real Christ-centered intentionality. Uh, to to say no, this is actually Christ's church. It's not my church, and yeah. um, and it may be our our little our little outpost of the church, but uh, mm-hmm. it belongs to Christ, and and Christ would have us um, welcome. And I would also add, affirm the people who come to be among us. Mm-hmm. Um, even as diversity is very difficult, it's also really beautiful, uh, and so. Uh, anyway, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad. I'm really grateful that 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 was your experience when you came to peace and that uh, I, I pray that we can continue to be that kind of a congregation. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Hey, so we find ourselves in a strange time. This podcast is uh, itself the outgrowth of a, sort of a, a desire to be more creative and, and um, connect in new ways as soon as we all realized we weren't going to be coming back to church right away together, uh, at least the way that we had been before. Uh, and it's been a real blessing getting to hear people's experiences in quarantine, both both um, positive and negative, uh, so that none of us feels as alone, actually. That's uh, my hope. Uh, so I, I wonder if I might ask you too, Joel, uh, how have you been coping? Uh, how have you been getting through this time in quarantine? It's been a, a really interesting time. Um, so I, I can work from home, and so we're, we're really blessed with, with just that practical practical reality of we don't have that immediate stress of um, what work looks like and and so it's it's been there's been a, a number of really good things that have come out of it and one of them has been uh, just without the commute I'm able to spend a lot more time with uh, the kids and so that's part of kind of our daily routine as soon as I finish up work you know we go out for a walk and 
they get on their bikes and we go and kind of have a uh, family time. Um, it, but it's it's just been a really stressful time. And, and so I think we're just trying to be as kind to ourselves as we can be. Uh, the best thing I think I've done in that regard is to get myself an espresso pot. Oh, good uh, for you. That, I mean, I'm, I'm not a native Northwesterner, so like this whole coffee thing is, uh, you know, I've come late to it. Welcome. So, uh, yeah, thank you. We're you know, so glad to have I you. I had kids. <laughs> <laughs> Good for uh, you. So, I, and there's a little bit of new ritual there. Maybe you get to look forward to making your yeah. making your coffee and and enjoying it. Exactly. Day. Yeah. Good for you. Exactly. So I'd encourage somebody. You know, if you're uh, just looking to be kind to yourself, just you know, just get that espresso going, and, and that'll help. But uh, um, that's been one way. It, it's been interesting. I've been listening along and. Uh, to the other podcast episodes and I've really enjoyed getting to know people at peace through that. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to put you know, faces to names uh, once we do come back together. But one of the themes that I've noticed is everybody seems to be going back to watching The Office. <laughs> and yes. we're the exact same. And oh, so that's been a, <laughs> it's a, you know, in stressful times, uh, that's where we tend to end up on. Um, just watching an episode or two of The Office each night. You know, it's not related directly to our circumstances right now, maybe, but I think the thing that really struck a chord in The Office was the, the, the sort of the power of satire to speak to our experiences. And not to go too deep. I mean, The Office was a hit for lots of good reasons, but I wonder how much we need to kind of laugh at ourselves a little bit uh, in order not to take too seriously really real crises uh, mm-hmm. that we face and and many of which are alluded to on the office you know i think about divisions between uh management and and sort of white collar staff and then the blue collar staff in the mm-hmm. in the the uh the warehouse and, the warehouse. and some of those dynamics and and dynamics that address race and sexuality that are very uncomfortable and um, and gender and, and those are all present in that show and we laugh uncomfortably sometimes at some of the ridiculousness uh, and we thank we thank God that we don't have a boss like Michael Scott but but it is I mean there's a way in which being able to laugh at ourselves a little bit being able to to sort of put maybe to put uh, Michael's privilege up on a pedestal a little bit and knock it down feels good uh, in a time when we really do need to be asking those harder questions uh, about what matters most in our society and our relationships. I don't know. I, I'm probably going way too deep with it. Oh, I think now's the time to be uh, to be going way too deep with it. Yeah, I hope so. Well, we have plenty of time to do it. So, uh-huh. um, thank you. The other question, and, and this sort of, I sort of accidentally leaned into an answer to it for myself. But the, the other question I've been asking guests is, um, if we are to return to a new normal, I think we all know that. Some things are probably likely to change permanently as a result of the COVID-19 outbreak. But if we are to return to a new normal, what would be your hope for what that new normal will look like after the threat of the pandemic has passed? Yeah, that's interesting. I think just on a a practical level, uh, I mean, really being able to spend more time with my kids has been just a pretty incredible thing that's come out of it. Mm -hmm. because, you know, I was spending a lot of time commuting, so by the time I get home, we basically eat dinner, put a kid to bed, and, you know, just kind of go from there. And so just being able to spend more 
it's a time for us to work through some hard things with uh, just raising kids, and it's not it's not always easy, you know. But I get to actually be a part of that, um, which is which is great, but it's also tough. Sure. So I think you know Elizabeth definitely you know she she bears a lot of that burden, and so um, I think it it helps that she doesn't feel as alone in that. Yeah, good. Um, and so that's something that I really would hope to continue on for our family once we get, you know, quote-unquote back to normal. Sure. Um, I think just on a, a general uh, level, I, 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 I'm really curious about what church is going to look like. Oh, um, uh, you and your you know, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I got that, the, uh, the survey questionnaire, um, and I just looked through that um, from from Sarah, and it's just all, like all those questions. It was just I'm not sure, sure, you know. And so I think we're at a really interesting place. I mean, just in you know American Christianity, to where we kind of have this opportunity to to decide, hey, what are the things that are important, you know, and what are those things that that can be that we can kind of leave behind. And it's there's just kind of I think there's going to be a new paradigm that comes out of this. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe everything will just go back. But um, I, I think that could be exciting and probably really stressful for you, but exciting for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, anxiety and excitement, I think, are maybe two sides of the same coin. You're you're right that we sort of have to throw out the playbook at first. Uh, you know, if if uh, if American Christianity and our congregation in particular has been rooted in the Sunday morning gathering. And I think, I think we have, and for good reason. I mean, the, the identity of the Christian community was Sunday morning worship from the second century on, right? It was the, the, the gathered assembly on Sunday for, for um, you know, to hear the word of God and to participate in the Lord's Supper was what made you a Christian, regardless of identity or social class or citizenship or religion uh, prior to the Jesus movement's arrival. Uh, it, it makes me wonder, though, you know, what if if Sunday morning gathering is going to be much more difficult, especially if we, you know, can't have Holy Communion for goodness' sake, if we if we can't sing for a while, uh, you know, is that going to continue to be the primary place where we connect, um, or is it going to need to be a whole different whole different approach? Uh, you know, I, I've wondered if maybe, for instance, uh, small group ministry might. Mm-hmm. Blossom in this time because the the times that we actually get to come face to face with each other um, will have to be in smaller groups and you know without singing yeah. in communion for instance so mm-hmm. yeah so so the opportunity to reconfigure our life uh, and still cling to those things that are most important about being church um, while doing it in a new and creative way I, I just think it's going to necessitate yeah. that C- clinging to an old way of thinking about church isn't going to get us anywhere because we're just going to be disappointed when we're Mm-hmm. seated six feet apart from everyone else and not able to sing and not able to take communion for instance so yeah you're yeah, you're yeah. you're right on i i don't know what it's going to look like we're kind of working hard together on council to sort of um yeah. do our best but it is one of those uh, you don't know what you don't know kind of situations and I, I would just i would just add that another like really great thing that's come out of this time for us has been just being able to be more connected with peace oddly uh at this time when everybody's at home yes because it was you know attendance was really tough for us with uh with the kiddos sure. and, and it was a you know a stressful event you know i'd make sure that the shirt i was wearing was breathable you know because i knew i was going to 
to be sweating from like lifting up kids, <laughs> picking them up, you know, chasing them. And so, it's, you know. Um, yeah, the only person who has so, to be presentable on Sunday mornings is me. And I really only have to iron the front of my alb. I don't really have to iron the back. <laughs> oh, wait, never mind. I guess I do turn around every once in a while. So yeah. being able to join online has actually been really great for us. And, you know, we've been loving that. We were, you know, we've been loving night prayer. And, um, you know, that's that's just been a really neat way for us to keep connected with peace. And, and so it's actually weirdly um, led to some really great things for, for us connecting with peace. Excellent. Yeah, that's helpful to hear from you. Yeah, you, I mean, you joined the congregation formally, you know, in, in an official sense, even though you've always mm-hmm. been part of the congregation ever since you showed up for the first time. But you you officially joined during the pandemic, and you're the only ones who have done that, but for good reason. I mean, you actually have felt uh, a greater sense of connection, more opportunities to connect than you might have otherwise. I'm really grateful for that perspective. Uh, it's helpful to kind of balance out some of the the fear that I have that people are more and more disconnected. Uh, Mm -hmm. So thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. You know, you you mentioned, you know, being able to spend time with your kids. I think one of the things that, uh, that time in quarantine has really done for me is to increase my appreciation for the other adults in my children's lives, right? The people on whom I've relied in the past for, you know, partnership in, in Mm -hmm. raising them, whether it's their preschool teachers or their grandparents or, friends, surrogate grandparents and aunts and uncles throughout the congregation yeah. and elsewhere in the community. You know, being separated from those people has made me realize how much I really do rely on and appreciate other adults to to <laughs> partner with me in raising my kids, yeah. right? It's yeah. the, the joke about, like, understanding finally, you know, why teachers should make a million dollars a year, right? Like, uh, that the work is really hard and and it's precious at the same time. It's and it's. I mean, it's cliche to say that it takes a village to raise a child, but I think there's a reason why yeah. it's so popular a sentiment. Anyway, thanks for for sharing those thoughts with me. Um, the the second phase of the podcast every week is to take a look at the up, upcoming gospel for the Sunday, or or at least a scripture that's assigned for the upcoming Sunday, and have some conversation around it. Um, and there are three basic questions that we use at Bible study uh, at peace to kind of get at um, what a scripture might mean for us in that moment. Uh, and I'll, I'll review those. Uh, but first, maybe I'll just go ahead and read the gospel assigned for this Sunday, the second Sunday after Pentecost. And it is Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 10, 23. Matthew 9, 35 through 10, 23. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, 
James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. See, I am sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them, for they will hand you over to the councils and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them and the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that time. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I tell you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The Gospel of the Lord? Sometimes I feel like asking that as a question. Really? Is this good news? Uh, I'm not sure I would take this assignment. More about that in a moment. So our, our three questions that we use to study the Bible... Uh, at peace are basic and they're meant to open up our conversation and they are as follows. Number one, what stands out to you? Is there something that strikes you uh, this time around? You've probably heard this passage before, but what stands out? The second question is, what questions do you have? And the key there is they don't necessarily have to be questions that you feel like you can answer or really that anyone can answer. Sometimes questions just lead to better questions. And then finally, uh, number three, what will you take from this text for today? In other words, if the word is meant to become flesh, how will this word become flesh in your life today? I don't know. Do you do you have an answer to that first question? Something that stands out to you? Something that strikes you? Well, yeah. So it was interesting when you told me what the the gospel reading was. So I grabbed the you know particular study Bible, and uh, I actually there was a bookmark in this particular passage. Oh, wow. Um, and it was a bookmark. It was my business card from the the missions agency that I was I was working with wow. at the time. 
so uh, I thought that was, huh, that's, that's interesting. That's interesting, yeah. Uh, because the, at the time, the, the verse that really stood out, this would have been, gosh, maybe seven, eight years ago, six years ago, um, was the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Yeah. And part of what my job was, was recruiting, training, and then supervising uh, volunteer teachers to go overseas for a year or longer um, to these different countries within the former Soviet Union. And this was um, kind of post-recession, and it was really difficult. And uh, a large part of my time was spent trying to stop programs from being closed, different locations that we were at in Kazakhstan, Ukraine, Azerbaijan, Russia. And this was like one of those like cries of the heart versus, you know, like the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. They're Mm. so few. And how do I find them? God, you know, and, um, and so that, I don't know, that was just kind of a, uh, a hard this was this was a very hard passage I actually think um, it's almost like you heard that verse as a lament yeah very much so wow very much so I haven't ever heard it that way but I can totally imagine how you would take it that way in that context and you then know? the thing that the thing that stuck out this time around though was you know just kind of related to current events of crowds that are harassed and helpless Absolutely. Having compassion on them. And that was, wow. I don't know. I just hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, that's that's actually what, among several things, because this is a long passage. There are quite a few things that stood out to me, but the, the first thing that really stood out to me was that same phrase. The, 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 Jesus has compassion on the crowds because they're harassed and helpless. There was a commentator that helped me um, understand that by... by uh, uh, including what might be a more literal or wooden translation of those terms. And he actually, believe it or not, he, I couldn't believe it when I saw this, but he, he translated those, those two terms, harassed and helpless, he translated them oppressed and thrown to the ground. Oh, wow. Literally, harassed means oppressed or distressed and helpless. The word there uh, comes, the Greek word means thrown down. Uh, which obviously in today's context, you know, is, is a really interesting, um, really painful kind of way of understanding uh, the human experience to, to envision people who are literally thrown to the ground uh, yeah. in helplessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that was powerful for me. You know, the other thing that stuck out to me, too, was the fact that uh, Matthew here really is intent on, on spending some time naming the Twelve apostles. Mm-hmm. And it's the only place where Matthew uses the term apostle, which comes from the Greek for sent out. So again, that, that um, reference to being sent into the world. This is the missionary discourse in Matthew, the, the sending. And so the, these, are the, these are the ones who are the first ones who are sent in the middle of this story. Um, and I mean, it, <laughs> Jesus doesn't mince words either. It's really clear that this isn't going to be easy peasy, right? Like this isn't a this isn't a simple assignment. It's going to be it's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. It's going to involve discomfort, persecution, um, 
And so, I mean, I sort of imagine the disciples sort of wide-eyed, standing there kind of blinking, wondering, what did I get myself into? Um, the last thing that stuck out to me was this idea that um, the imminent return of Jesus, right? Uh, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Mm-hmm. Which now to our ears sounds like Jesus was wrong. Um, you know, obviously the, the, you know, the message of the kingdom of God has gone throughout the world and it's been, you know, another 20 centuries and, and, you know, the way that we've understood the second coming of Christ, you know, it doesn't appear to have happened if, if, if it means that God is going to gather up all things into God's self, make everything new once and for all. But I wonder if that helps us understand sort of the, the continuity of the work, right? The son of man is coming, but, but in the meantime, there's, there's still more work to do. Uh, another thing that stuck out to me going back to the apostles being named oh, yeah. was Matthew uh, goes goes to great pains to mention that, that he was the tax collector right. of, of state oppression. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Yeah, an agent, as you said, an agent of Rome, sort of a subcontractor, right, who would, who would go throughout the neighborhood and fleece people um, for the on behalf of the occupier. I mean, that's a really important, that's the reason, of course, why tax collectors are included among the the hated populations in the New Testament, because they were abusing their neighbors for their own gain. But yeah, Matthew owns that. Yeah, it's interesting that he names himself. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of vulnerability in that, I would imagine. Wow, yeah, there's a lot here. Uh, um, The other thing I noticed, and it it always makes me a little nervous, is... Jesus' reference to Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm-hmm. Uh, truly, I tell this is verse fifteen. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for the t- the town that uh, that doesn't receive your words. Um, and this is really important to me because obviously the story of Sodom and Gomorrah has been misinterpreted for centuries and has um, caused great damage to the LGBTQ community. Um, but it turns out that here, not only here, but also in the Hebrew Testament itself, the meaning of the condemnation of Sodom and Gomorrah is made clear, but we've just sort of ignored it and made a story about sex. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah get uh, condemned in the prophet Ezekiel because of their inhospitality, right? It's, it's this notion of being cruel to the, cruel to the, to the stranger, uh, it doesn't really have anything to do with sex. It has to do with our violence and our uh, our inhospitality. And then, of course, Jesus here reinforces that understanding um, mm-hmm. by connecting the story of Sodom and Gomorrah to towns that would be inhospitable to the disciples. Mm-hmm. So he he um, he also echoes that understanding of of the meaning of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, and so I always want to point that out whenever that reference comes up, so that it's really clear that this has never been a story about. Uh, same-sex sexual relations, yeah. but it's always been a story about violence and carelessness toward the stranger. And kind of building along that, uh, or building with, building on that. So my my experience is, you know, we were doing m- missions within, we called it, you know, creative access countries. Basically countries where you're, you weren't allowed to be a missionary, quote-unquote. Yeah. Um, so we were sending out English teachers. And so, and, uh, and just kind of having relational ministry with people and in muslim countries the the call to hospitality is so strong it's the you know so that near east middle east that there is such a high value on hospitality for the stranger 
So, I mean, I would be, if, if I was in a Muslim country and people saw that I was a stranger, more often than not, people would want to, they would stop me on the street and say, hey, let me take you to tea. You know, let me take you to, to this meal. Oh, brilliant. They didn't know anything about me other than that I was a stranger. And that's yeah. part of their, so that was so strong in their cultural values. Sure. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously hospitality is a biblical virtue too. And, and I wonder, I wonder how well we live into it in our culture, especially one that is so individualistic and insistent mm-hmm. on sort of the, the personal life and, and the personal circle and boundaries. Um, those, those same boundaries don't necessarily exist in every culture. Uh, and, and maybe that sometimes will allow for, for greater, uh, outpourings of hospitality. Thanks for sharing that. Appreciate yeah. it. Um, what about that second question that we usually, uh, use to study the Bible? Are there any questions answerable or unanswerable in this text for you today? Well, yeah, go, I mean, the, going back to verse 15, yeah. you know, truly I tell you it would be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for, than for that town. Yeah. And I think, you know, 10 years ago, this would have been really easy. You know, that's a really easy proposition like oh they, they go to hell duh you yeah. know and so <laughs> and so just kind of as i don't know i guess as i've matured or as my faith has uh i don't know if changed it yeah i'd say change is probably the right word or as i'm more comfortable struggling with things uh i'm more okay with this verse just being difficult hmm. um and i uh, it, it's interesting to come back to a verse like this and really wrestle with it in a way that I never would have in a in a more immature faith, a more immature faith of just, oh, they're done, boom. Okay, I don't have to think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. That's really it's, helpful. It's, I mean, it's, it's a much more interesting question now. Well, and that, I think ambiguity we have to have more tolerance for ambiguity than, than we often have. Uh, obviously the, the striving for sort of black and white answers, um, striving for certainty is completely understandable because certainty sort of gives us the illusion of control, right? It gives us the illusion of, of simplicity. Uh, but the true fact is, of course, and this applies to the Bible as much as any other area of life. Uh, the ambiguity is often where the truth lies. Uh, and, and it's, it's, a, it's an example of, I, I often go back to Paul, and I think one of Paul's most brilliant moments is when he, when he says, I, right now I see through a glass dimly, right? I, I don't see fully the truth because I'm on this side of eternity, and only, only later will I see face to face. So for me, it's the same question. What, what, does this, what does this verse have to say about God's judgment? What, what will judgment day be like? What is the relationship between God's judgment and God's grace? If we believe God is a God of both, what's the relationship between justice and mercy? Um, and how does that apply to individual lives or individual villages in, in, you know, Galilee and, and Judea? Um, so yeah, I, I don't have a good answer there other than to say that we uphold a God who is both just and merciful, uh, and that really it's not my my job to judge. That's really helpful. I mean, Luther would often say, you know, let God be God, right? Let God be God and, and don't try to be God. And that's a really helpful place to start. But we also have to address how, how painful and harmful these verses can be when they're interpreted, you know, as a hammer. Uh, yeah. And we have to be able to 
not that we have to defend God, but we, we certainly have to defend our interpretation of Scripture as a, a source of life and, and life abundant. Mm-hmm. That's a tough one. I don't have a great answer for that. I can say this. I believe that God judges evil and that evil is often bound up in uh, sinful systems. So right now I'm thinking a lot about racism and the way that racism has made mm-hmm. its way into basically every American institution since the beginning. Um, America's original sin, right? I, I believe that God judges racism through and through, uh, and that God is, is angry. And, uh, but I also believe that God has mercy on individual people who are impacted by racism, both victims and perpetrators. Uh, and, and I think that God's grace and love are freeing, liberating realities that somehow um, allow us to look in the mirror, repent, and be forgiven, and and grow. Uh, so that that's one that's one way to frame that question of judgment and mercy. But uh, I'm I'm Amen. also in, in I don't know I'm I, I'm willing to listen too. Um, I uh, I don't uh, I don't really claim to as I said before I don't claim to sit in the judgment seat and I I don't really ever want to. That would be too much of a burden. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Um, do you have any other questions about this passage? Oh, so many. So, so many. many. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I share one of mine with you? That's uh, Please, please. A late, little later on, um, you, this question of, I'm not surprised by the promise that faithfulness is going to engender resistance, right? That, that pe- yeah. you're going to be dragged before governors and kings, um, you'll be hated on account of my name. This is a pretty common promise that Jesus makes um, to his disciples, that faithfulness isn't necessarily going to be rewarded with an easy life, but actually the opposite, right? It's gonna, you're going to encounter resistance. He, he mentions, though, in verse 22, you'll be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. This seems to suggest that it's all a test, right? Like that endurance is actually the source of salvation, I'm not quite sure what to make of that because if I if I think it's up to me to endure the trials and tribulations of what it means to be truly faithful to the way of Jesus, boy, I'm going to fall on my face over and over again and I, I may not endure. There are certainly days when I am not enduring. So did, what does this mean? Did you ever, did you ever read uh, or see the movie uh, Silence? The book by Shusaku Endo? Yes. Uh, I've read the book. I haven't seen the film, but it's it's one of my favorite stories of Christianity. Yeah, that's kind of what, what came to mind when you were talking about, you know, enduring to the end. And I don't know, I, I think that's a really relevant book for the discussion. But uh, I think to, to bring it back to our context, and, and also, I guess, coming back to missions as well, uh, I've seen this this passage, and especially you know verse uh, twenty four and twenty five. Um, afterward, being cited a lot when Christians harm other people, huh. um, and they use this as a so, like for example, what was the the woman in Tennessee who wouldn't file same sex union? Oh, right in the um, in the clerk's office, yeah. And I mean this this passage, you know, of like, oh look how she's suffering for righteousness, and I hope she endures to the end, and all this stuff. And it's, uh, I, I personally have a really hard time with uh, with a lot of that that rhetoric here in America because I mean I've 
been to churches that have the windows smashed in, you know, from uh, from people who who just hate hate Christianity and, and right. hate the fact that there is a church there. Right. Um, that said that, and you know, and I've I've I know people that have been arrested for their faith, you know, and and so to see a verse like you know a passage like this that gets trotted out because somebody doesn't want to bake a cake because of their own bigotry. Uh, that's not enduring to the end. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, there is persecution sorry, against Christians, bit, but it's not here in the United States. I, I hear you saying that, that we, we don't have, there, there's no persecution. Um, there may be a resistance to uh, allowing people who confess the Christian faith to impose their values on other people, but that's not that's not the same as what you've described. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's but okay. I, I guess, and then going back to silence. I mean, I don't want to do any spoilers, but of just when is it? When is it the right time to you know, keep your peace? You know, and when it, when is the right time to stand up, and when's the right time to keep your peace? Yeah, yeah, that's helpful. Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to respond without spoiling it either. If anybody wants to read, it's a phenomenal <laughs> story of. Um, uh, Catholic missionaries in Japan, and Japan has a really unique history um, with Christianity. Um, but what does it mean? Yeah, how how what does faithfulness to Jesus look like in different scenarios? Uh, is a really good a really good way to maybe frame that question. Is it always uh, unabashed? Um, is it always for the sake of one's own integrity? Right. Like if, if the question is, you know, my, my faith stands or falls on uh, my courage to confess Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior in public. If that's really what makes you Christian. Uh, what about what about if if uh, if there are, are, are moments when, you know, your your personal confession actually ends up um, hurting other people? Yeah. And yeah. yeah really that's what I was trying to get to. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's wonderful. You know, my my most uh, the most important question to me of the three, uh, and not just because it's the last one and the one that people will remember. I keep saying that uh, is is this last question. Um, what what do you take from this particular passage this time? If if the word is living and active in the end, and if the word of God is intended to interpret our lives and enters into our individual circumstances and our social circumstances in a new way uh, today. What what will you take from it? How does the word become flesh for you? Do you have a Do you have a response for that? Uh, yeah, I think I've, I've got two. Um, the first one was uh, the passage of Let's see if I can find it um, about shaking off the dust from your feet. Oh yeah, and leave that house or town. And I think maybe it's a that's a really tough. Uh, that's a really tough passage, but I think it, it's tough to execute and execute well of when is it time to confront somebody and when is it time just to shake the dust from your feet, mm-hmm. <laughs> shake the dust from your sandals and move on, um, especially in the age of social media. Yeah. You know, somebody's being wrong on the Internet. How are you going to fix that? And <laughs> You're right. There is a time. Um, there is a time to to confront, right, especially if a in that scenario, if, if the commentary could be harmful or hurtful or untrue. But yeah, there also comes a moment, we've all probably read through a really painful thread of two strangers thrashing each other. Uh, and you wonder, 
wow, how much time did you all have that day that you had that conversation, yeah. right? And and how hurtful did it end up being to you and everybody who watched you? Mm-hmm. When, nope. when does it come time to just shake off your feet, shake the dust off your feet? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's that's one, huh? Um, that, that's one. Okay. Um, and and I guess kind of going along with that, there's and again, it's, it feels like there's this balance there, but there's the, that quote from Saint Seraphim about acquire the spirit of peace, and thousands around you will be saved. Hmm. And I think there's a way, and I think we we've been seeing a lot of it over the last couple of weeks, a way to confront with peace. Hmm. Um, and so I, I so and how to do that well, I think is tricky. But but I think that's what I'm taking from it is. Is there? I think there's a way to to shake the dust from your sandals with peace. Hmm. Um, but I love that yeah, quote. That uh, it gives the it sort of gives um, as an example of the idea that you can simply embody yeah. spiritual and emotional maturity in a way that impacts other people, regardless of what you say. Right? It, it's mm-hmm. or where you show up. Like that. Just you can just walk in uh, the peace of Christ in a way that influences other people. Uh, and you know, you'd have to be rooted in, in, in deeply in prayer and deeply in the word and, and, and just be really spiritually and emotionally mature. But there's a way that you can impact other people around you simply by being. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, sometimes I wonder, you know, do we, do we get anxious about what we're going to say, how we're going to say it, uh, what, you know, what the posture will be, uh, is there is there strategy? I mean, and I'm not saying that there's no place for. I'm not saying we should just try to embody the peace of Christ and let the chips fall where they may. I mean, especially movements for justice and peace, you know, need need organization. They need strategy. But for individuals who are looking to have an impact on the people around them, just to walk in the way, walk in one's giftedness in Christ with the gifts that the Spirit has given, uh, and to prioritize. The peace and love of Christ that that that's going to hopefully show through. Um, yeah, and it's, it's it's interesting to me. You know, there's also that quote attributed to Saint Francis of "Preach the gospel always, use words when necessary." Right. And I've never gotten so much pushback when I've cited that as when I was uh, working within mission. Sure. Uh, that was actually a kind of. To be honest, to be honest, this was one of our screening questions <laughs> when we were interviewing people for for the ministry that that I was involved in, uh, because we were sending people to these creative access countries where you know if you try to proselytize or do it in a, or proselytize without you know following these very strict rules, you know you're going to get kicked out of the country, arrested, sure. um, and that what that does is that breaks our chain of ministry in that in that city or or in that program, you know, hmm. and so we we were that was kind of like our question that we would ask people to see like, you know, is them sharing the gospel about, you know, embodying the gospel or is it about, you know, proclaiming it with their mouths so that way they can report back to their sending church and, um, that they, you know, that they were suffering for the Lord somehow. Sure. Uh, so I'm sorry that maybe that's a little deeply cynical take on that, but no, that's helpful. I I mean, I, I think that the, the opposite risk um, Lutherans might experience the opposite risk, which is to say, mm. I'm only ever going to embody the gospel according to my understanding of it, and I'm never going to use words. I'm certainly not going to say the name Jesus. 
yeah. because somehow it might make me out to be a freak or, you know, that, that it would, it would single me out in a way that I would feel really uncomfortable. But it still is true, I think, that, that the gospel is not just words. We receive the gospel through words, through the sacred story, uh, but we also receive the gospel through the, the abiding presence of the living Christ in our community and in, in the love of, of neighbor and, you know, even in the presence of the stranger, right? The hungry, the, the thirsty, the sick, the prisoner. Uh, that, that you have to, that the gospel has to actually have an impact in your internal and in your social life. It, it can't just be words. That's really helpful. Thank yeah, you. And, yeah, and I, I'd also just kind of add that um, you, 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 and the listeners are getting the, a glimpse into some of the baggage that I'm working. <laughs> so. Good. Oh, I'm so glad you're willing to be honest and vulnerable with us. Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, it's helpful. I'm just to saying, hear. don't judge me too harshly. Oh no, of course not. No, I'm working no, I'm, through it. I'm grateful for your willingness <laughs> to share your story. Thanks. Um, let me just share with you what I take for today. Um, it's interesting to me that the disciples are given power to perform the work that Jesus himself has been performing, right? As you go proclaim the good news, this is, uh, verse seven, uh, the kingdom of heaven has come near, cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, cast out demons. That one really stood out to me this time, um, that it's, it's the job of, Christian evangelism to identify and throw out evil. Uh, and I wonder okay. how we might uh, understand the, the, the ministry of casting out demons in our time. What does it mean to identify the demons in our social life right now, in our economic life, in our uh, personal understanding of the degree to which, for instance, racism plays a role in... Okay in our lives and not just our personal lives, but in our, our community life and in our national life. Uh, it seems to me that um, this is, a, this is a, a, a command that is really is, is catching, catching my attention today, that, that part of my work as, a, as an apostle of Jesus Christ is to cast out evil. Of course, you have to be able to recognize it first and then you have to be able to confront it. Um, so I don't know. A, that's a challenge to me, and and I suppose a challenge to all of us. Uh, and we have to continue that hard work together. I suppose. Yeah. Joel Slagle, thank you so much for your time uh, and for your insights for for sharing your your personal story with us, but also your the story of your arrival at peace and your and your and your wisdom about the scripture. Uh, and uh, hopefully. When we come back together, uh, you'll know some. You'll be able to put some faces to names, but maybe other people will be able to put your name to your face too. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been a pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode thirteen of Together in the Word on Pioneer and Third. Until next week.